All right. We are in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. We're in the second lesson. Everybody got a study sheet? Everybody got your coffee? Hopefully we're going to have some good discussion today. Because we're going to look at Paul's prayer for the, for the Colossians. Now we've got to remember, Paul, every, implica- every implication from the text is, is that he didn't go to Colossae. And he didn't start this church. Okay? So this was a church probably, you know, like maybe he's a grandfather, so to speak. Maybe it was a church that started from the, from another church that he started. Okay? But the, the implication is, is that Paul probably did not start this church, but he's going to pray like his, which is his traditional fashion with his letters, with all letters from that time period. They start off with a greeting and then they go right into a prayer of thanksgiving or some kind of, uh, goodwill expressed, but here's a prayer of thanksgiving. And we're going to see his concern for them and what he's concerned about in their lives, and we're going to see what that means for you and I, okay? So let's look, first of all, at verse 9. We'll look at verse 9 first, the first part of verse 9, and we're going to see the response of prayer. Look Look at what he says. For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Okay, so let's look at here at the response of prayer. First of all, the reason. Paul is reflecting upon what he wrote in verses 3 through 8. So he's thinking back to what he just said in verses 3 through 8. Their testimony... Remember, he was really excited about their testimony of faith and love. Their testimony drove Paul to pray. Their testimony drove Paul to pray. Now, let me just stop for a moment, because you're probably wondering, why would, I mean, they're doing well. Why would he be praying? Well, I can't think of a better reason to pray when you know somebody's doing well. Anybody got any clue why? If you hear somebody's doing well in their faith and their walk with Jesus, most of us would get excited and we, we would focus our attention on praying for somebody who's not. Why should we pray for somebody who's doing well? Well, they become a target for Satan. Okay, that's good, Sue. What were you saying, Bruce? Okay. Okay, peaks and valleys. When you're at the peak, the valley's coming, Sue. So I heard somebody else mumbling here, Tim. Okay, so there might be some forgetfulness on their part, the Colossians' part. Okay, anybody else with anything different? Okay, that's exactly right. When you see somebody doing well, so when you look around here and you look at where people are at in their spiritual life, it's really easy to say, oh, well, they're doing okay. I don't really need to give my attention and prayer to them. No, you actually need to. Because they are a prime target. Prime target for Satan, a prime target for themselves. Because, have you ever noticed, when you get to where you think you're doing okay, you get too comfortable? And you maybe don't strive like you should in your Christian life, and then all of a sudden you're like, man, what happened? You know? Like, for instance, there's a great little book 
uh, called The Pilgrim's Progress. It's about 500 years old, okay, by John, John Bunyan, okay, and in it, the story is a Christian who is making a journey to the celestial city, okay, and he's going along the path, and he's told not to stop anywhere on the road. He's supposed to go to the next part of the journey, and then he can get his rest. So, But he comes to a plateau, and he's carrying a scroll with him. He comes to a plateau, and he thought, oh, man, it's beautiful here, so I'll just take a rest. He takes a rest. The problem is that he drops his scroll, it rolls down the hill, and he gets himself into problems. And that is so true in the Christian life, isn't it? So true in the Christian life. You, and it's like what Bruce said, you're either going forward or you're going backward. Do you understand? It's a, it's a journey. You, there are no resting points. You have to be progressing in your Christian life. So Paul, even though he's hearing that they're doing great in their faith and their love, it's driving him to what? Pray for them. So their testimony drove them to pray, Paul to pray. Here's the other thing. From the time he heard their testimony, Paul prayed for them. There was a sense of urgency. From the moment he heard their testimony and how they were doing, he prayed for them. What can we learn from that? What can we learn from that, guys? Think about where we're at with our prayer lives. What do we, what do we spend most of our time praying about? I'm guilty of this. Ourselves, right, Rob? Ourselves. Stuff that's happening in our lives. I'm sure Paul prayed about his needs. I'm just going to be honest with you. Why? Because Paul's a human being. He may be an apostle, but he's a human being. I'm sure he prayed about his needs. But the implication from the text is, is Paul spent a lot of time praying about who? Others. Praying about people around him, people that he cared for. So how much time do you spend praying for your family? You don't need to answer it. I'm just throwing out questions for you to think about. How much, how much time do you spend praying for your friends? How much time do you spend praying for your church family, that they grow? Do you understand what I'm saying? We're going to talk today in the morning service about what's most important. What is important? You're going to find out it's actually quite amazing what Paul's going to point out here. What is, what is important as far as our Christian life? And I'll be honest with you, what it is is your faith maturing in Jesus. That's what's important. Everything flows out of that in your Christian life. You say, well, isn't it evangelism? Evangelism is only going to flow out of your faith and maturity in Christ. You understand? Isn't it your service? Your service is going to flow out of what? Your maturity in Christ. Because you can't, you, you can't give unless you've got something to give. Do you understand what I'm saying? You can't give unless you've got something to give. So from the time he heard their testimony... Paul prayed for them. So let's look at what his prayer is, okay? Let's look at what his prayer is. We're going to look at, again, the last part of verse 9 through verse 14. This is where we're going to spend the rest of our time, okay? So let's look at this together. Did not cease, verse 9, did not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, 
strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long suffering with joy, giving thanks to, go- to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the, of the Son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his love, through his blood, the forgiveness of sin. So let's take a look here. First of all, what he's going to pray for them is he's going to pray that they're filled with knowledge. All right? So first thing I want you to see is that Paul prayed continually for them. Now, again, I want you to understand, when you read that, don't picture a monk in his cell in some monastery spending all day long in prayer. Paul worked. Do you understand? Paul taught. So when he talks about praying without ceasing, that means that when he prayed, he was continually lifting them up. Okay? He had an attitude of prayer throughout the day. So when he had time, when he was communing with the Lord, he continually prayed for them. All right? Let's go on now. He's going to talk about that he prayed. He prayed that their thoughts, affections, and plans and purposes would be permeated. That's pretty much everything, don't you think? Your plans, your thoughts, your affections, and your purposes. I mean, that's pretty much everything that goes on in your mind, right? He wants it to be permeated here. Permeated with what, George? Well, he wants them to be, wants them to be permeated with the knowledge of God's will. So he's not just talking about that they increase in their, their knowledge and their understanding of facts. So we're not going to, you know, it's like, it's not an issue how much theology you know. In fact, I would say to you that there's a danger in totally just focusing on theology. We'll talk about that in a moment. What he's talking about here is, is that their thought process, from their affections to their plans to their desires, everything is permeated with a knowledge of what God wants, period. Okay, now how do you do that? How do you and I permeate our minds with a knowledge of God's will? Okay, Bruce said it. Read the scripture. Read the Bible. Do you understand? Yes, God can speak to you. It's not going to be with an audible voice. Hey, this is what I want you to do. Okay? God does speak to us. Speak to us through prayer, circumstances. But the primary means that God speaks to us and, that, and, the, and the means that it overshadows everything else, I don't really care what your experience is, what does the Word of God say? The primary means that He speaks to you through is God's Word. Did you understand what I'm saying? How many of us want to know God's will? Let's, how many you want to know God's will? Okay, great. All of us want to know God's will, right? Read His Word. Read His Word. And he'll, he'll show you. And so he's saying, he's praying that their minds, their understanding, would be permeated with a knowledge, filled with a knowledge of God's will. Okay, so, you, you, alright, so let's go on then. This knowledge comes with practical wisdom and clear understanding. 
So there we go. When he's talking about your mind being filled with the knowledge of God's will, and it comes from God's word, he's not talking about how much theological knowledge you know. He's not talking about how well you can state your position on some theological issue. He's not talking about how well you, you understand the doctrine of who God is, or the, the doctrine of, of, of hell, or the doctrine of this, or a doctrine of that. Because all of that can be empty and meaningless. You can have all of your doctrine right and still be a zero spiritually. Do you understand what I'm saying? You can be a spiritual egghead. Does everybody understand what an egghead is? Yeah, I guess it would be kind of like a nerd. Yeah, okay, all right. It's, it's a spiritual egghead is, is, is a guy who can, he can answer all the Bible questions, he can, he can get in, involved in theological discussions, but the problem is, have you ever met an egghead? They have no common sense. Ever met somebody who knows a lot but has no common sense? You know what I'm saying? I mean, they can't even change their own tire. No practical wisdom, no practical understanding, no clear understanding, okay? I mean, we've met people like that spiritually. You know, we've met people like that. Sadly, some of them tend to be pastors, right? Okay? And, and the problem is, is that that's not what he's talking about here. He wants them this understanding and a knowledge of God's will here that he's talking about is, is a knowledge that comes with practical wisdom. Practical wisdom. And a clear understanding of things. Okay? So he's not talking about us being theologically eggheads. Now here's the problem. And, and I'm gonna, I'm just, we'll divert for a moment from our study. It is good to pursue a knowledge of the scripture and of theology and to prepare yourself. But there is a danger with it. Anybody know what the danger is? Okay, you said it in the back, Lori. Pride. Because what can happen is, is if you study a lot of theology and you answer the questions, you begin to see yourself as being above other people so that you think you know more. Did you understand what I'm saying? And you get to the place where you're, you get really haughty because you can understand and, oh, you just don't understand and you explain what it is. Okay? And, and that can be your downfall. Do you understand? By just simply studying it without the relationship with Christ and growing to know who Jesus is, you can trip yourself up by being so inward focused, you don't have love for anybody. And you explain away simple things like faith. Because all you're consumed with is your pride and, and that you know more than other people. And it's really easy to fall into the trap of pride. I've been there. Do you understand what I'm saying? I, I've been there. I can remember 20 years ago being filled with such pride because of my learning. Do you understand what I'm saying? But the reality was is you can have a lot up here, but you may not have a lot down here. And do you think a lot up here pleases God? No. It's what? It's right here. Did I see your hand? I, 
Yes. Yeah, that's exactly right. Pride's always going to be an issue, and actually, at the, I, you know, at the center of a lot of your sin is the issue of pride. So it may, it's going to cycle out, and it's going to manifest itself in different areas. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Pride. Now, let me just stop for a moment. When I talk about pride, I'm not talking about the feeling you have when your kids do well in a ball game. Because somebody say, "Well, you mean I can't be proud of my kids?" That is not what I'm talking about. Pride is viewing yourself as more than what you should be viewing yourself. Do you understand? It's talking about viewing you and your sense of you. Do you understand what I'm saying? So he's talking about them increasing in their knowledge. Now, I went off on that tangent because so many times people will get confused about what kind of knowledge they need to be seeking. So they'll, they'll start reading theology and answering Bible questions and stuff and, and studying the Bible to, to know facts. Well, you know, the problem is, is hey, you know what? Here, when I finished seminary, I'll tell you what happened with George, okay? I finished seminary. You guys know the story. I wanted to go to Africa to teach, all right? But God had something else in mind. And even though I hated it, I mean, I, with a passion, I hated it. I ended up working in a Christmas tree field for three summers. You know? Okay? Now, here, here's the thing. I had to go through that. You know why? They called it the seminary thaw. Because I had studied for six years the scriptures. And this view of that, and this view of that... I can remember very clearly, Lori and I were newlyweds, and I was sitting in the living room, and I was reading the scripture, and I would read the passage, and here's what my Bible time was like. Oh, wow, that's interesting. I wonder what the, what the views are on that. And then I go and look at what the views are. And, and, and the problem is, is I wasn't reading the scripture for myself. What are you saying to me, Lord? I was reading it, and, 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 and looking at it from an analytical standpoint, you know, that was puffing up my brain. And it's like there was a 14th century monk by the name of Thomas Akempis who wrote uh, a book on uh, the practicing the presence of Christ in your life. And he said this. He said, you can go into the forest and miss what is there simply because you focus on the stumps. You can miss the trees and the beauty of the forest because you focus on the stumps. See, that's the danger of just going after theology. You can go after theology and focus on the stumps and miss the beauty of everything else. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's not what Paul's talking about here. Paul's talking about that they increase in their understanding of God's will and that it is relayed in practical wisdom. You understand for their lives. Let's go on. I hope I'm not confusing everybody. All right, let's go on. Let's look. He's going to talk about another area here. Look at verse 10, very first part. That you walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him. So let's hear, what is he saying here? Paul prayed that they would live their lives worthy of Jesus Christ. Okay, stop for a moment. How are you doing? Don't answer it. When you look at how you're doing, how you're living your life day to day, 
at work, at home, by yourself. That's the big one. By yourself. How are you doing? He's praying that their lives, he's praying for their lives, that they would walk worthy of the Lord. That they would live their lives in such a way that God would be pleased with how they live. Do you know what I'm saying? It's, it's, it's kind of like this. You know, I'm a dad. And we've got a lot of parents here. Do, do you remember sometimes the feelings you had of, of disappointment with the way your children were acting in a situation? Do you know what I mean? Because, or when they did well, and you were fully pleased then. Do you know what I'm saying? But do you remember sometimes when they just didn't do, and you heard, and you were like, I can't believe they acted that way, you know? And, and, and this is the issue. We need to be praying, not just for, he's not just praying for them. You and I need to pray for each other that we what? Walk worthy. In every, every detail of our life. He prayed that their lives would be worthy of Jesus Christ. And our motivation, here's what our motivation needs to be. Our motivation should be to please God. I mean, we understand that. You know, one thing that drove me as a young man, as sometimes still drives me, he's dead now, but was the, was the desire to please my dad. Okay? The desire to please my dad. Now, some of that was not healthy, but I'm just being honest with you. That was what motivated me is to hear my dad say, that's a good job, George. What motivates me now, more so than anything, is to hear Jesus say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. The reason why we should be praying for each other that we live worthy of our Christian calling, of our, of our Christian lives, as a believer, is that we want to please who, folks? God. Our focus is on pleasing God, our Heavenly Father. Okay? Our focus is on pleasing God, our Heavenly Father. Now, let's go on here. He's going to show what the result is. Living out our lives in this way will produce spiritual fruit. Living out our lives in this way, will produce spiritual fruit. Now, let me just stop for a moment, because maybe you've heard for years, spiritual fruit is people getting saved. How many of you have heard that? Spiritual fruit is people getting saved. That is not what it's talking about here. Galatians talks about the fruit of the Spirit. And when you look at that list, evangelism is not part of that list. What that list reflects, though, is your character. Is your character. What he produces in your life is love, joy, peace. Gentleness, kindness, the reality, patience, all right? So the reality is, is I want to live my life in such a way that it's pleasing to him because it's going to produce in my life, let's just say what it is, it's going to produce character. It's going to produce a Christ-like character in your life. It's going to produce being like Jesus. That's spiritual fruit. Living our lives in this way will produce spiritual fruit. And you'll notice I gave you the passage there uh, Galatians chapter 5, 22 through 23, you can look at that on your own. He's going to continue on in verse 10, and he's going to tell them that they need to increase in knowledge. Now, the word knowledge here is a little bit different word. It's, it's going to reflect an experiential knowledge. So we will 
He's praying that we will increase in our experiential knowledge of the living God. Wow. Now what does that mean, George? Before he talked about a knowledge of the will of God, now he's talking about that they have an experiential knowledge. Let's look at what it says there, verse 10. He says, an increasing in the knowledge of God. And the word there, knowledge, means an experiential knowledge. What is he talking about? Well, let's just put it right down to here. He's praying for them, and, and here's what my prayer needs to be for you guys. God, may they know you by experience because they've seen you work in their lives. Do you know what I mean? May they get intimately acquainted with you because they see you answer prayers. They sense you strengthening them. They sense your comfort. They sense your presence. They sense your peace. We're talking about he's praying that they get to know God by experience. Do you understand what I'm saying? Don't you want to be prayed that way? Prayed for that way? Seriously, do you want to be prayed for that way? I do. I do. You know, he's he's praying here, the Apostle Paul is praying that they would increase in their experiential knowledge of God. How many times do we go throughout the week where it's like, you know, yeah, we believe in God, but do you really see him? Do you even think about him? I'm just going to be fine, honest with you. We get into our routines. I'm just going to express it. We get into, I get, I'm the same way. We get into our routines, and we don't think about him. I don't think about him. He just doesn't seem that real. Does, is that not true? Am I the only one who feels that way? Okay, I'm willing to admit that. You know, the reality is, is that we need to, to experience the knowledge of him. All right, let's go on now. He's going to talk about that they need to be strengthened in verse 11. Such a life, he's praying that such a life will be strengthened. So he wants them to be strengthened in their Christian life. Man, I can't think of a better way for us to pray for each other. I mean, here he's praying for them. They're doing well in their, in their, in their faith and their love. But again, he's praying that their life would be strengthened. You and I need to be continually praying for each other that we are strengthened in our Christian walk. Why do you think we need to do that? Why do you think I need to pray for you that you be strengthened? Okay, Bruce says, because I need it. Anybody else? Okay, it'd be easy to go off on our own and walk according to our flesh. Okay, that's good, Rob. Anybody else? Here's, here's one. Doesn't stuff happen? And you might be standing strong for the moment, but there's always something that will happen that will shake you to the core. Right? A crisis happens that you, that maybe begins to cause you to, to doubt, to question the, the genuineness of God's love for you. And you say, oh, oh, trust me, it does happen, right? I need to be continually praying for you that God would strengthen you. Why? Because I know that that stuff's going to come. I know you're going to get hit with that. So, okay, does everybody understand? Look, look around at each other. 
Just kind of look around here and, and recognize that every one of us is going to get hit with something at some point. Period. To test us, to shake us. Okay? So we need to, he's, he's praying that such a life will be strengthened. And the source of this, source of this strengthening is the Spirit's power. The source of this strengthening for their life is the Spirit's power. It's the Holy Spirit within them empowering them. Okay? The way that you can get through this. Have you ever said this? I don't know how I can get through this. I don't know how. I, if it gets any worse, I don't know how I can get through this. But you got through it, didn't you? How did you get through it? The Spirit strengthened you. Hey, remember years ago, I mean, they were arguing over who actually wrote it, but Footprints in the Sand, remember that, 20 years ago, 30 years ago? You know, about the two sets of footprints and the one set and who carried you and everything through your crisis. There's a little bit of truth there, because it is God, it is the Spirit, who what? Empowers us, okay? It's the one who empowers us. This source of strengthening is the Spirit's power. And this strengthening will produce endurance and patience with joy. Does that mean it's going to produce happiness in my life? No, no, you can have, you can have joy without being happy. Joy is finding your satisfaction and your hope in who? The person of Jesus. Do you understand? We talked about that when we went through the struggle for joy. You, you, happiness is fleeting. It's just for the moment. But I can have joy in Christ in the midst of my crisis. Okay? I can have joy in Christ. And what this strengthening will do is it will produce in your life endurance. What does that mean? It will give you the hide of a rhinoceros. What does that mean? It'll toughen you. Did you know what I'm saying? It'll toughen you. You, you know what I'm talking about? You've done the same thing. The older you get, you, you ever wonder why old people are crusty? Okay? Okay. Because <laughs> they've endured, right? Do, do you understand what I'm saying? And, and, and young people, you get sick of them saying, well, you need to do this. this. Well, the only reason why they're telling you that, young person, is because they've gone through it. And they've endured. And they want to spare you. Okay? They want to spare you. If they love you, they're telling you that because they want to spare you. Because they've endured. This is what the strengthening will do. It's going to produce in them patience. You ever find, find yourself now as you get older, you're a little bit more patient with, not all the time, but you, you tend to be a little bit more patient with the crisis. I have, I have to work on that one. But the endurance thing, yes, that, that's true. So let's go on. This life will produce thankfulness to the Father. So it's going to, he's going to talk about that this life that he's praying for them is going to produce thankfulness to the Father. Now here's the reason for the thanks. The Father has qualified us to be partakers of Christ's inheritance. You know, you can be thankful no matter what's going on, no matter the crisis, no matter the bill that shows up, no matter the report that you're told to by a doctor. You can be thankful because you have been qualified by God through the sacrifice of His Son to be partakers in a heavenly inheritance. You have a hope beyond this place. Do you know what I'm saying? You have a hope beyond this place. Like, I remember when I went through boot camp, 
when I went through basic training in 1985 down in Columbia, South Carolina at Fort Jackson, I, I, uh, I'll, I'll be honest with you, you know what got me through that? I mean, it was terrible. I mean, they worked on me hard. You know what got me through that? Was the knowledge that in eight weeks I'm going to be done here. You know what I'm saying? Was the knowledge that I'm going to be out of here. You know, that was what got me through it. You know what I'm saying? What gets you through, what, what Paul, what the New Testament stresses, what gets you through the junk of this life is the knowledge that there's something better coming. Did you understand what I'm saying? Did you have a hope? You have a new body. Wow, that's great, isn't it? A future hope with Jesus. And man, you should be thankful. Even in spite of all else that's going wrong, you should be thankful. Let's go on. The Father has delivered us from darkness. That's another reason to be thankful, right? He's delivered you from darkness. You ever, ever seen people around that just have no clue? They're in their sin. They have no hope. They just live in darkness. Aren't you glad you don't? Aren't you glad you don't? You have a hope. Okay. And then finally, the Father rescued us to the kingdom of His Son. The Father rescued us to the kingdom of His Son. And then this final point here. This is what I think is so great. It is through Jesus that we have been redeemed and forgiven. It is through Jesus that we've been redeemed. Now, what does redeemed mean? You've been purchased. You've been purchased from the slave markets of sin. You've been purchased from from the God of this world, Satan, through the blood of the sacrifice of Jesus. You have been set free. And not just set free. It's one thing to be set free, but still have a cloud hanging over your head, right? He sets you free, but he forgives. And let me just stop for a moment so that we understand it's not a human forgiveness. Okay? Because remember, somebody tells you, oh, I forgive you, and then they keep bringing it up for the next 20 years. All right? When God forgives, he what? Forgets. Is that awesome? When God forgives, he forgets. That's really forgiveness, isn't it? He wipes it clean. So... That's his prayer for them. That's how we should be praying for each other. Next week we will look at the supremacy of Jesus.